never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that's pretty sure we figured out the root cause of the source of the world's problems, and that is pumpkin spice. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. <laughs> hey, if pumpkin spice is wrong, I don't want to be right. That's all i got to say. <laughs> well, and as I said that, I'm like, I probably just pissed off all the pumpkin spice users. But let me tell you this. When is enough enough? Okay, I can take the coffee and the lattes. But when I'm seeing pumpkin spice frosties at Wendy's and pumpkin spice frosted flakes at the grocery store, we got to draw a line somewhere, people. Just saying. <laughs> well, so the genius behind pumpkin spice is I don't know. It's if like I'll it's buy like the, the statement because you started <laughs> with the genius behind and then I lost you. Well, I'm going from a marketing angle, but it's like the rib witch. It's exclusive. It only comes around once a year, and it uh, creates the illusion of scarcity, and that's what I think attracts everybody to it. But I don't I don't care. I can be a basic white girl. As soon as the first leaf leaf of fall <laughs> falls on the ground, I'm ready for some PSLs. I'm ready for pumpkin spice everything, pumpkin beer. Bring it on. I, I love the pumpkin flavor. So <laughs> And you will see Peter out there in his Ugg boots, yoga pants, North Face, Starbucks. <laughs> hey, I'm just cosplaying Han Solo, all right? <laughs> I know. Um Good all stuff. Right, so how so now that we've angered everybody in the world, uh, Peter, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy week. Uh, we just had Labor Day weekend um, where I went camping all weekend and I did an awesome job of just unplugging, which is great. But then you come back to work and even though it's a short week, it feels like there's twice as much at work because there's just that much stuff built up over the long weekend. And uh, yeah, it's just been busy. Um, haven't gotten a chance to watch and read as much as I'd like, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of just that busy time of year, I guess. How about you? Well, did you watch Ahsoka? I did watch Ahsoka. Perfect. At least we can talk about that. Um, <laughs> because that was a that was a monster of an episode, and there's some stuff that needs to be clarified if people don't know what it is, because I have a feeling a lot of people didn't watch Rebels and Clone Wars, and because when those shows started dropping, like when The Mandalorian started dropping, my phone started exploding with questions from my friends, and I had to go, do you remember when I told you to watch these cartoons that you said were too little kiddish? Right. Um, anyway, so we'll get to that in a second. Um, it was my brother-in-law's weekend, my, sorry, my brother-in-law's wedding this weekend, as I correct myself. <laughs> So it was a it was really busy and um, it was fun and it was fun and it was good and ultimately just that's basically the weekend for me. Um, but during the week um, I did get to watch stuff like Ahsoka um, and whatnot. So let's start with you. Aside from Ahsoka, because we'll talk about that in a moment. What did uh, you watch? 
So there's one other thing that I've watched, um, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, my son, my son's like four years old. So I think it has to do with like a four year old's attention span, because I remember when I was, you know, around that age, I remember rewatching Superman four over and over again. And uh, I remember our brother, Sean, rewatching um, Jurassic Park over and over yeah. again when he was around that age, too. And uh, I've mentioned in the past how my son was really hooked on Pixels recently, where he just wanted to watch the movie Pixels like nonstop. But uh, for some reason, recently, I think we were watching something one day, like I was watching something with him and uh, there was like some rock or metal music in the background and I started headbanging and uh, my son thinks headbanging is the coolest thing ever. So naturally I decided to show him Wayne's world, but it was really just for the uh, technically second scene, but you know, everybody considers it the first scene, the Bohemian Rhapsody scene yep. where everybody's packed in the car. You know, you have Wayne and Garth, you've got their uh, techies in the back with uh, the other guy they meet up with and they're just jamming out to Bohemian Rhapsody. And I showed him that scene because I just thought, well, he's going to think this is hilarious because he's just like amazed by this headbanging concept recently. And now literally all he wants to do is watch Wayne's World, which Yes, it's a PG-13 movie. A lot of that stuff went is going over his head. Um, my younger brother, who I mentioned earlier, I'm pretty sure he probably saw Wayne's World for the first time around the same age, and he turned out all right. But what's <laughs> cool is, like, this is one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> so it's just on repeat, and I'm just kind of sure. watching it, and I'm mouthing the dialogue, and uh, that's been pretty awesome lately. So that's my other watching, but... I don't know. I think Wayne's World, one of those movies that I've seen it so much that it should have gotten old, but it never really has gotten old to me. And I don't really know why that is. But uh, yeah, good stuff. So because Wayne's World is amazing and there's no reason it should ever get old. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so but besides Ahsoka, that's honestly it for me this week. All right. So we'll get to Ahsoka in a moment. A couple things for me. First off. You know how I have my never-ending quest, and it will end. There is a light in the tunnel, but my never-ending quest to read every issue of Batman that exists? Yes. Well, I have finally reached Batman issue number 426. That is the beginning of the arc for Death in the Family. Uh, this is the death of Jason Todd mm. and moving forward and all that stuff. Now, this is a pivotal moment in DC Comics in general. It's a pivotal moment because the fans are the ones who caused Jason Todd to die and were requested it. And DC had to issue that statement saying that we didn't kill it. The fans did that kind of thing. Um, and what was interesting was, as I've read the story arc, I've always known the story arc. What I never really read in the past, because a lot of people have been like, oh, death in the family. Cool. You read that story arc. You pick up the trait. You pick up the graphic novel, the comic book story. You read it and like that was a great story. What a lot of people don't do is they don't read the books that lead up to Death in the Family, nor right. the books that follow Death in the Family. And that's been one of the coolest things about going through the Batman stuff issue by issue and seeing how certain things fall in place. So the rise and fall of Jason Todd has been really kind of cool to read through and to see the building to what would ultimately be the Death in the Family moment where he dies and then because I never read what happened after. Like, yes, I read what happened after because you pick up the next story arc, you pick up Hush and you pick up War Games and you pick up Contagion and Cataclysm and all that stuff. Um, when you read those, great, they're always isolated and there is an order you should read those in, but there's always those 
mid issues that get skipped over when you do collected trades. So I just started the Death in the Family arc. I can't. I'm look. I'm looking forward to rereading it because it's going to go into the Fallout part where Batman has to deal with the death of the Robin, and so on and so on. So that's been kind of cool. So that's how far I am in the Batman timeline, if you will. I'm excited because near the end of the 400s, when you get to the like the 400 block of the issues, is when Nightfall starts. So at some point, I'm going to start seeing the ramp up to Nightfall, which will be really cool. So like the the rise of Bane and all that stuff. So nice. Um, because, yeah, that's awesome. Because that, that slow burned into Nightfall and the Nightfall was a slow burn to Night's Quest and so on. So I'm looking forward to getting there and seeing and actually seeing how long Azrael or J- John Paul Valley was um, Batman, because I feel like it was like a year but I also feel like for some reason it was longer than a year. <laughs> so that's what's crazy. That's what's crazy about Nightfall. Cause like every once in a while you're in a bookstore and you're just browsing the graphic novels and uh, you see this like giant omnibus, like sized uh, Batman trade and you look at it and it's like Nightfall volume one. <laughs> and you're like, how long was this freaking thing? You know, right, like I right. remember the highlights, but it's just kind of crazy how, long that stuff is but uh no that sounds like a really fun area of batman history you're reading through right now now the other thing that i watched is i watched something old and it was something and it's a deep cut kind of a thing and a lot of people don't know this existed but it came up in conversation in the midst of all the wedding talk and this came up in conversation and it made me go where can i find this And it's on Amazon in its entirety. And I highly recommend anyone who's been a fan of the Internet should watch this show. Um, The show is called Con Man, C-O-N-M-A-N, as in convention man, like Comic-Con convention, like Con Man. Okay, that's that's the idea. Sold. (laughs) I know, right? You're sold immediately. So here's the premise of the show. This is another thing that's going to sell you. Each episode is only 10 to 12 minutes long. Okay. That's really going to sell you on it. Because this show originated as a web series back before YouTube was what we know YouTube nowadays. And when I started watching the show, I found out about it because Allison Hayslip from Attack of the Show from the old G4 network. Yeah was talking on a podcast about how she signed to do a few episodes for the show con man. And I was like, what is this? So I looked it up and I was like, Oh, it's a web series. That's cool. How do I watch this? Oh, I have to go on my computer, not like a smart TV or something like that. I had to go on my computer to a website to watch the episode, wait a week and do it again. Yeah. And these are, and these are short episodes. So here's the premise of the show. And you tell me if you don't want to watch this show. Because it only ran for two seasons. I'm pretty sure it ends on a cliffhanger. But, hey, I rewatched the entire first season pretty fast. And it was a ton of fun. And I can't wait to rewatch the second season. Because there are some so many people that I did not realize were in this. And it's so many people from the, like, depths of the internet that you're going to go, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because they're household names now, but they weren't then. So, yeah. The story is about an actor by the uh, by the name of Ray Nearly, played by Alan Tudyk from Firefly fame. He used to be on a failed science fiction television show called Spectrum. 
with uh, Nathan Fillion. And they were like the two main guys on this show Spectrum that is no longer in existence. And this is all about Alan Tudyk's character, Ray Nearly, going to do signings at conventions and meeting fans. <laughs> but right. he's at a point in his life where he's been, it's 10 years past Spectrum being off television. And he no longer wants to be known as the guy who is from Spectrum. He wants to do other stuff. Like he wants to do serious movies and take serious roles and stuff. And he's getting irritated with the fans. <laughs> um, but he still has to go do all the conventions and signings. So this is Alan Tudyk playing a fictional character, having to deal with real world stuff. So when he meets Sean Astin in the show, Sean Astin's playing himself. Right. Nice. Yeah. And you have Nathan Philly and you have Seth Green. You have Michael Dorn. You have from Star Trek. You have uh, Claire Grant, who is from Team Unicorn. This is also married to Seth Green. Uh, yeah. Will Wheaton's in the show. Um, Like the like every character from Firefly, every actor from the Firefly television show is on the show, including Joss Whedon. Um, the uh, it's just it goes and goes. And there's some actors that like are in the background that are literally just there to be in the background that you're like, hey, wait, was that Trisha Helfer or wait, was that like, <laughs> like nice. it's it's crazy. It's a really funny show. Um, if you are a comic book nerd, pop culture fan in general, you really need to watch it because you're going to die laughing over it. And it's it's so ridiculous. Like there was an episode um where you find out that Alan Tudyk's character did some voice work and he's um, working on this video game and he leaves the recording session. And one of the guys goes, Hey, can you do me a favor? I can't go to this uh, signing at this comic book store tonight. Would you mind filling in for me? I'll let him know that you're coming instead of me because they have a lot of spectrum fans that frequent the store. And he's like, yeah, I'll go. Well, because it's a voice, a voice actor comic book signing thing, it's him and a bunch of other voice actors. And they get up the, go on the panel and Seth Green moderating the panel wants to talk about racism in voice acting. <laughs> nice. And he's talking to him about how you shouldn't cast a white guy to play a black character, even though it's animated, you still should have the black actor voicing the black actor. Well, prior to this moment, you find out that Alan Tudyk voiced a black character in a, um, <laughs> in a cartoon <laughs> in a cartoon and he doesn't want to talk about it for obvious reasons. And they're like, no, you got to talk about it. Tell us about the character. And he's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, That's funny. He's doing his best. <laughs> and then, and then they force him to do the character's voice and everything. And he's like trying his hardest to like, <laughs> it's such a funny, <laughs> awkward moment, but it's such a hilarious sequence. Um, and they're playing it to all the punches to make you laugh for all the right reasons. Um, because like Michael Dorn from Star Trek is sitting there next to him, like, yeah, voice the black actor. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, no, seriously, check it out. It's Con Man. It's on Amazon in its entirety. It's only the two seasons, very short episodes. So check it out, man. Um, I, yeah, I think I'll definitely be checking that one but, out. That sounds but awesome. Definitely so. go back and watch it. It's just because it's so funny. If I if it wasn't what it was, I wouldn't be talking it up. It's just I. I only had watched probably maybe six or seven of the episodes when it was on and I had to like watch it on my computer. So I never finished it. So it was like I rewatched those six or seven episodes and then I'm like, OK, this is about where I left off. And then I'm just laughing at all the stuff that I'm yeah. like, why didn't they keep going? And why didn't this show keep going is the other part of it. I'm surprised. I feel like I might have heard of this, but 
I don't know if I ever heard of the show and I'm really surprised because I feel like I was so tuned in to like G4 and like nerd culture and everything when this came out. And I just I guess I missed this one. But it sounds like relating to nerd culture, like the mid like 2010s or whenever this came out, I do feel like was kind of a golden age for that sort of like oh, this would have been sci fi show. And yeah, like a lot of these people you're mentioning and stuff. Yeah, it would have been 2010s now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, the uh, there's there was a, one of the characters from the sci-fi show that he was on, because it's 10 years later, she's all grown up now because she was the kid on the show. So she's all grown up, and she's the one that went... Uh, she's the one that did the bar scene and got all crazy and everything. And right, asked, of course. They asked her about her ankle bracelet, and he's like, when are you getting that one off? And she's like, this one comes off in a week... This one's here because of this one that comes off a month later. And she go, and then she lifts her other leg and she goes, this one I'm keeping on because as long as I have it, I get better Wi-Fi coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's ridiculous stuff, man. But it's hilarious. Um, and his agent who helps him book all the convention gigs is a riot. Like everything that comes out of her mouth, you're just like, did she really just say that? <laughs> like, it's really funny. Um, nice. So, yeah. In all seriousness, check out Con Man. It's really great. Um, all right, let's talk about Ahsoka because there were some big moments and I assume looming questions. So what did you think? This, I thought, was another solid episode. Like, it left off right, kind of right where um, the last episode, you know, left us. And uh, I don't know. Obviously, going into this one, you knew it was going to be action-packed. But I think this was just filled with, like, a lot of good fight scenes. You have a pretty sweet, like, droid-esque, like, uh, slap fight going on, which was pretty entertaining. But then you had Sabine and um, Ahsoka both had, like, some really great uh, lightsaber fights, too, which were awesome. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Obviously, I guess there's some questions about... Uh, I see where you're going, because the end of the episode is very ambiguous um and you actually might have to inform me a little bit about that drew because i feel like we're getting a glimpse into the like jedi afterlife or something like that but um it's another one of those things where i'm just i want to know where the show leads us from here because i'm not quite sure what's going on with ahsoka but i also want to know how like all the other characters are like in another galaxy so how is um you know, how are they going to catch up to Sabine and the rest of the villains and stuff? Um, my one big um, the one thing I was thinking about in the show, and I think this is kind of consistent with uh, the Disney Star Wars series, and I don't know why they do this, but I was thinking while all this like lightsaber stuff is going on in the show, I almost like wish they had Duel of the Fates playing in the background. <laughs> And, like, they have their own music, but I'm still just sitting there. I'm like, man, this would have been great for Duel of the Fates. And you even have, um, you even, you even have, like, Balon, like, talking about, uh, fate, but he's talking about it in, you know, a different way. But that would be a cool twist to use the song in that way and stuff. And I was just like, this is all awesome, but I just feel like if we had some of those john williams star wars themes like it would just punch that much harder and i feel like maybe the shows like they just want to do their own own thing as far as the music goes but that's the one thing i was thinking of like i was like this is great but if we had some classic star wars music it could be even better <laughs> so and that's the sure. first time i've actually thought that during the series but 
Well, you did get a little bit of a um, Imperial March riff if you listen to it. It's very subtle and it's there right before you see Anakin at the end of the episode. Spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I'm not 100% sure that is Anakin. Um, and this is where I need to inform. Like, it was it was a really great sequence. I'm just not 100% sure that was Anakin. So first okay. off, the episode's titled Fallen Jedi, which is kind of cool because technically... Ahsoka's not a Jedi because she left the Order. Um, Balin Skull and his uh, apprentice and the Inquisitor are technically fallen Jedi because they're survivors of the Clone Wars that later now here they are. Um, But, you know, are we referring to them? And then Ahsoka literally falls off the cliff. Um, So there's a lot of factors in there in terms of fallen Jedi. But we have that moment with Anakin and we have that moment of of Anakin at the end, which Alan Anakin is the ultimate fallen Jedi. Um, True. So there's a lot of factors just with the play of words on the title of the episode. The big thing that, you know, when Ahsoka falls off, clearly she's not going to die in the fourth episode of her own show. (laughs) So surprise, surprise, she's not dead when we see her, but she's somewhere else. She's somewhere that most people are like, if you don't know what that is, this is where everyone went, wait, what? All right, so I got to jump back to Rebels briefly. So in the Rebels cartoon show, Ezra in a Jedi temple found a, um, like a portal or a passageway into this like mystical place where Ahsoka currently is on the show. And it's called the World Between Worlds. It acts as a nexus in the force where time and space connect so it's like this think of it like the flash's speed force but it's for the force it's like right. where time and space intersect itself and become one but because of that and you can freely walk through so you saw her on the episode she's like standing on this bridge yeah and when you see it in clone and rebels it's clear that you can freely walk through and explore this world between worlds so clearly Ezra was able to access it from the one side. Ahsoka was able to access it from another side. Um, the in Rebels, when he was ex, when Ezra was exploring it, he was viewing these moments um, and he was hearing voices from Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, um, Rey, Ahsoka. He was hearing all these different voices from all across the board because he was learning that. You can from this moment, you can view parts of the timeline from different points because everything intersects as if it's all happening at one time. Um, and there was a point in the sh- in, in Rebels where Ezra saw Ahsoka battling Darth Vader from the episode where Ahsoka's battling Darth Vader. And when Darth Vader's about to kill her, Ezra reaches through the void, grabs her, and pulls her into this world beyond a world between worlds so this isn't her first time there um because he saved her it altered the timeline it altered how things spilled out after that um when they left uh so there was that moment right well in this show ahsoka died right she fell off a cliff and ended up here so she, quote unquote, died. I know the, the audience cannot see my air quotes, but you got to remember that Ahsoka died once before 
during the Mortis arc on Clone Wars. And she died uh, because of the they had the father, the son and the daughter and the son, who is a representation of the dark side of the force, killed Ahsoka. But she but the daughter sacrificed herself so Ahsoka could live and Ahsoka was brought back to life Um, because of all this going on. And we don't 100 percent know where the Ahsoka show is going. I hope that in the sense of me not confusing everybody, it helped put some of that into perspective. The problem is, is because we saw Anakin Skywalker in that nexus and he said, I didn't think you'd I didn't think I'd see you so soon. The question is, is Ahsoka dead and in the afterlife or is that not Anakin? And it's the representation of Anakin from when Ezra pulled Ahsoka from that battle. Or is it a representation of Anakin um, from the Mortis arc? Where it was, where the nexus, where I think that was the original connection to the neck, this nexus. Um, so these are the thoughts going on in my head after that, I saw that sequence. But <laughs> we gotta could, see what's going. Could she be in this nexus, and then that's still like an Anakin Force ghost, and she isn't dead? Right. Yes, she can be okay. in the nexus and not be dead, and that could be just an Anakin, not or a not Anakin. Like, I guess that could be an Anakin Force ghost, if you will. Um, I'm so, not 100 so, so, sure. I'm just not 100 percent sure it's Anakin, because at this point in the story, Anakin would be dead. But would we see him in this form if we did? You know. Why, why do you say why do why do you not think we would, though? Well, because when the last time we saw Anakin as a Force ghost, he wasn't like he was in a completely different it was a different setting. He had a different look. This isn't. This is Anakin the way he looked in the Clone Wars right before him and Ahsoka right. separated. Not the way Anakin looks at the end of like he looks different at the end of Return of the Jedi. Now if they're going that's and, fair. and Lucasfilm is really good about making sure things look right, so that's why I wonder if this is something else or if it really is the spirit of Anakin. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it's. Um... Yeah, that's that's a really interesting thing to look at. And I don't think we're going to know for a couple more episodes how to view that. But uh, that's an interesting question, because I didn't know if like that's just a case of like we could be overthinking it with that. But you are right when you say like Lucasfilm does pay attention to these details. So, um, yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. But uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) really interesting stuff. (laughs) I know. I know it's some really cool stuff and we're going to see how it plays out. It'll be cool. It'll be fun. So, you know, um, but yeah, that's basically what I watched. So yeah. Nice. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have it. too much else to say on this one. I just thought it was another good episode. Oh, it like, was I'm a great episode. So far, you know, it was a great episode and me, um, I still like Sabine with the long hair, but it's okay. Cause she put on the Mando helmet and looked awesome. Um, Ahsoka wasn't as stoic this time as she has been. And like I said, that criticism that I gave a week or so ago is not a negative on the show necessarily because we're dealing with Ahsoka at a different point in her life. So where I want her to be the smart ass, um, she might, she, she did grow up like, you know, Ahsoka was a smart ass, but she was 14 when we met her. Now she's about 45, 50 years old. If you count it out 
Um, so, you know, and I did do, and I did the count out. You're like, all right, well, she was about 14. So it was about five years for that, about 20 years for this. It's about five years, you know, and, I, and if you count it out right, she's about 50 years old. So, right. Um, but that's where I'm saying, like, her being stoic and serious right now might be derivative of something specific as opposed to how, like, I originally wanted to see it. But it's it's just been a it's just a really cool episode. And I want to see more of these dark Jedi characters, whatever they happen to be, because I'm not 100 percent sure if they're Sith. I love that the one um, Morgan, um, I love the fact that she's a witch of Dathomir. And when that came up in dialogue in that first episode, I'm like, oh, we're doing this. Yes, let's do this. Like, I was excited. Um, Because the Witches of Dathomir, I thought, was such a cool bit. Uh, The whole Witches of Dathomir concept was written by George's daughter, Katie Lucas. And if you didn't know that, uh, she's the one who wrote all of that um, and came up with all the lore for it. And, you know, made it into Star Wars. So Nice. Yeah. Um, All right, man. Um, What, um, you want to talk about some news? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right. News time. All right. We only have a few stories. Um, so and, and and a few stories and one actual big one, which is kind of cool, um, which I, I'm really enjoy that I get to laugh at this. So. Um, all right. Marvel is shuffling around a lot of their dates with uh, the calendar. Uh, the Agatha show, Echo, X-Men, Daredevil, they're all getting like new dates and stuff because of the strike. Um Surprise, surprise, but uh, they're going to be shuffling a lot of stuff around. Um, What makes me wonder is Marvel's very good about releasing stuff in a specific order so you know, (laughs) so you know how to watch it. Would that change? Would that change um, viewing order or would it change how they end shows or plug stuff in or reshoot sequences? Cause remember how, and I've, and I've talked about in the past, if you watch the Marvel movies in release order, there's a couple things that don't make sense. One Spider-Man homecoming. If you watch the opening of the movie, it doesn't fit in the timeline really well where it released. But if you move it back to, and I don't remember which spot, but if you move it closer to civil war, it makes more sense. The same thing with um, Black Panther, because they're very clear to say it took place one week after the events of Civil War, but Black Panther released really close to Endgame. So if you move Black Panther back to where it should fit, everything flows better. So when you go into the Endgame arc, all the bonus scenes line up properly. It's really kind of interesting when you do that. That's why I'm wondering if this is a situation like that, where because of the strike, we're going to have to go, all right, well, this takes place here. Just watch it, understanding that concept, you know. Yeah, I mean, Thoughts? who who really knows? I mean, I, I would hope they would keep everything in order enough that we can all follow the story, you know. But uh, one thing that uh, <laughs> one speculation is that they might just uh, they might keep things pretty much in the same order, but they might switch around post credit scenes. <laughs> like if they're like, Oh, this movie has to release before this other movie because of scheduling conflicts. So we'll just swipe out the, uh, <laughs> swipe over this post credit scene and stuff like that. Like it could get kind of goofy if they start doing that stuff, but yeah. I don't know. I guess my faith is just in uh, the MCU that they're going to release everything in a good enough order that we're going to be able to follow everything, you know? Yeah, True. Um, 
All right, let's jump over to DC for a minute. Um, James Gunn announced in his original announcements that one of the things coming out is Creature Commandos. Now, that's a part of DC that I'm not very familiar with, but there's nothing wrong with that because when Guardians of the Galaxy originally came out, most of us were not familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it was kind of an off-the-wall comic, and now everyone is a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, Creature Commandos, that's a, little, that's a corner of the DC I'm not really familiar with. However... James Gunn said that the Creature Commandos um, animated, it's an animated film. And he said it's still being worked on. Um, he said directly, it's animated, so it's separate from the strike. We're working on it. I love it. Oh, right. It's different than what people expect, which is awesome. Because in a world where we have the strike going on, this, because of what it is, allows them to work on it and they can shoot around it. Um, and I wonder if that goes for a lot of animated projects. Um I know that when the strike started, there were some thoughts in my head, like, well, what does this all affect? So, for example, like Critical Role, they could keep going, but Dimension 20, the other streaming play D&D show, they had to shut everything down. And then they recently do some negotiation and stuff. Dimension 20 got to keep go back into production. So it's kind of curious to how that works out um, with what's going on. This being animated, does that is that like a loophole where it doesn't go against other stuff? Like, can other animated stuff run? But I don't know enough about that. That digs into all kinds of contract stuff that I don't know if we have access to. Um, yeah, and, and it goes into, like, um, probably union jurisdictions and stuff about, like, you know, our, you know, our voice actors included in the strike and all that. And, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of fine print stuff that it's kind of hard unless you're like kind of an expert on voice acting. I feel like it's probably hard to even dig into that. But then once the show's being made, like 99% of animated entertainment in America is done overseas. So they're probably, they probably have like a Korean studio or, you know, somewhere overseas that's working on the, sh on the movie. So, you know, they're not going to be involved in the strike. So it is pretty interesting. And, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see more animated projects come out of this uh, strike. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to jump over to Batman real quick. Um, Robert Pattinson was talking about um, the Batman part two. And there's a rumor that says we might get a Robin in the movie. Uh, we might get to see an actual origin of Robin, which the last time we got an origin of Robin was Batman Forever, and it's not that it wasn't an actual origin. They actually handled the death of his parents, I yeah. thought, okay, and they covered the story parts and all that stuff that needed to be. But Robin, I feel like when it comes to the, like, in the comic books, it's Batman and Robin, right? It's, there's, you have Batman, you have Robin, they team up sometimes, they don't team up. Robin's part of the Teen Titans, you have Nightwing, you have the other Robins and stuff, and it's Batman and Robin. You don't question it, you don't tease it, you don't make fun of it. But I feel like when it comes to the live action stuff, Robin's a punchline. And um, and I know that some of it has to do with, um, you know, the movie Batman and Robin and Batman Forever and the Chris O'Donnell performance. However, um, there's a lot of fan casting of everyone saying, if you're going to make do Robin, it has to be Timothy Chalamet. Well, OK, me being a Batman fan, a long, a lifelong Batman fan. I don't have a problem with Timothy Chalamet as an actor. I just don't see him as Robin at all. I do not agree with that casting choice at all. I don't get it. And it's a fan casting. It's the internet talking. But I just don't get it. Now, 
Um, what I like about what Pattinson was saying is that it makes me have hope that one, we're not going to get Timothy Chalamet. And two, I think it could be really interesting if they go this route, because Robert Pattinson said, um, so Robert Pattinson says he likes the idea of having a Robin alongside his Batman, but he's got one condition. Pattinson says, and I'm quoting here, he has to be 13. It's the only way I'll accept it. Um, and huh. I thought that was interesting. So he wants to go for that, the kid angle, which is awesome. And I would love to see that. Timothy Chalamet, I think, needs to eat a burger. <laughs> like, I think he's too thin to be Robin. That's another part of it. But that's me. <laughs> uh, well, isn't he Timothy Chalamet? I mean, I don't know, but he's got I feel like he seems right pretty now, tall. So. Yeah, he does seem tall. So that that would be kind of weird, too, if you have your Robin, who's almost as tall as Batman. Um, but no, I mean... Actors can always definitely bulk up, but it would be cool to see a uh, kid playing Robin, because when you're talking about the Joe, Sh the Joel Schumacher movies, um, the one thing is like, I think they did handle Robin's origin really well in Batman Forever. But what was Chris, Chris O'Donnell like 30 when he played that role? You know, <laughs> like it's, I know it's kind of a far cry away from, a, you know, a teenage Robin sidekick, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And it's going to be interesting because we have the Batman Part 2 coming out, which is rumored to have Robin. And we have Batman Brave and the Bold, which is specifically Batman and Robin. And it's about Damian Wayne Robin specifically. So nice. Uh, it's it's going to be kind of, yeah, interesting to watch how that plays out. OK, here's this is the story that, oh, man, Peter. We've been doing this podcast for five years now, and one thing that I've been very vocal about is my disdain for Rotten Tomatoes and how I do not like Rotten Tomatoes as an internet <laughs> website. I do not like the fact that I, I don't like how it controls the movie algorithm, if you will. Um, yeah. And uh, I think a lot of it's fake. <laughs> and I've always thought that. And I've always said, and I've said this several times, that I think Rotten Tomatoes is destroying the movie industry right okay yes do you know what story i'm about to talk about or have you not <laughs> yeah i do and i actually okay. didn't realize we were going to talk about this but oh uh, yeah dude, let's do it <laughs> dude, there was no way i couldn't talk about this yeah a pr company reportedly paid movie critics directly to manipulate multiple film rotten tomatoes scores yeah uh, this PR company is called Bunker 15. It's a movie publicity company reportedly pays mostly self-published critics $50 or more for a review that the company implies should be positive. So they're basically going, this movie needs better ratings. You need to, you know, whatever. We need to beef it up because this actress is in this or this actor is doing this or we have a team up. We want to boost this to make people go see the next movie coming out. It's all a game and it's all a money thing. And it made me realize like, wow. Now, I dug into the article a lot, um, and one of the big things I found is um, they often recruit obscure – and I'm I'm paraphrasing the article because it's very lengthy and there's a lot of technical stuff, so to not bore or confuse, <laughs> I pulled some stuff. So they often recruit obscure critics who are part of the pool tracked by Rotten Tomatoes. Um, these payments of $50 are not typically disclosed, and Rotten Tomatoes says it prohibits reviewing based on a financial incentive. However, one film, Ophelia, which is um, it's starring Daisy Ridley, 
It's basically the story of Hamlet from Ophelia's perspective. Um, went from Rotten Tomatoes because of these reviews went from a 49, 46% to a 62%. Um, that's the one drastic one which made them go, hold on a second, let's take a look at this. And that's where they found out about, um, basically that's where they found out about the manipulation on the website. And um, as I read through this, it's crazy to see um, because, uh, so it says here, it's a Sundance film, and the feeling is that it's been treated a bit harshly by some critics. I'm sure sky-high expectations were the culprit, so the teams involved feel like it would benefit more from input from different critics. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, I, like, as I was reading the article, that, that's nuts, man. So as I've always said before, I've never trusted Rotten Tomatoes, and I definitely don't trust it now. So... So I don't know if you have to add anything to this. I just I thought it was interesting. And because I'm very against Rotten Tomatoes, I had to talk about this and go, hey, guys, <laughs> let's look at this differently. So. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have like a little bit to say, but I've never been the biggest Rotten Tomatoes fan. Um, I do check the website sometimes just because I'm curious how certain movies score on there and stuff like that. But what annoys me about Rotten Tomatoes is uh there was this point where people like trusted it over their own preferences and their own like yep. thoughts and stuff. you know, like people would be like, should I watch, you know, insert movie here? And then they would look up the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. And based on what Rotten Tomatoes said, that's based, that's what made them decide whether or not to watch a movie where from my perspective, um, actually, Drew, since you mentioned Creatures, Creature Commandos earlier, I've just been looking at Google images of uh, Creature Commandos as we've been talking on this podcast. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, this looks badass. You've got a bunch of superhero characters based on like classic, um, you know, horror monsters and stuff. Like I'm definitely going to be in this in for this animated film when it comes out. But that's because I have. I like animation. I love monster movies and stuff like that. I love DC comics. This movie looks right up, up my alley, but I feel like there's the people who go by rotten tomatoes. Like it's the Bible where they don't actually have taste and preferences. They're just kind of like, let me go to the website to tell me whether a movie's good or not. And right. that like mindset drives me nuts. Cause it's like, no, like watch the trailer, you know, maybe look up a review or two, but maybe watch the movie. Your own and, opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like d decide for yourself. And, you know, there's some movies that are like critically hated that I love, you know, sometimes there's a movie that's bad, but it aligns with, uh, you know, where you're at in the world or it aligns with some of your interests and you actually end up loving it, even though most people don't. And I feel like once Rotten Tomatoes was like universal, universally used by everybody, I feel like the discourse around movies got a lot less interesting because of all those reasons. So that's what drives me crazy. But the idea of like a PR firm paying people to influence uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it doesn't really surprise me. But I also think it's crazy because there has been times in the past where people have made conspiracy theories like that. Like I remember there was, and I'm not saying this is true, but I remember there was a conspiracy theory that uh, like certain DC movies were uh, 
review bombed by like paid shills who are just trying to make Warner Brothers and DC movies look bad. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, but it is interesting that those were considered like fringe conspiracy theories at one point. And now we're like, oh, wait, there's PR firms paying people to review Rotten Tomato movies in certain ways. But my whole takeaway from the thing is like, just trust your gut. Trust, you know, I'm not saying don't look up reviews or scores about movies, but don't just oblige by what Rotten Tomatoes says, you know, make up your own mind about things. Because as you can see from the story, if you're just going by what Rotten Tomatoes tells you, you're not even getting an objective reality of how the movie is. You're actually being like manipulated by PR firms, which me personally, I don't want to be the guy who gets manipulated by that. So that's just kind of my takeaway. Um, the last thing I'll say is I do think that um, I don't know how Metacritic is, but like I do think IMDb is actually a really good site to go to for like a pretty objective like you know, how does this movie rate out of 10? Like, I feel like IMDb, because there's certain Rotten Tomato movies that get horrible scores, and then you watch the movie and you're like, that wasn't bad at all, you know? So usually IMDb is my go-to to see if, like, something's like, you know, is this a 6 out of 10 movie? Is it a 2 out of 10? You know, what are we talking about here? So yeah, that's and, uh, uh, that's kind of my two cents. <laughs> another one that I really like is IGN. Um, IGN, IGN, okay or internet gaming news, very, very rarely do I disagree with one of their movie reviews. Okay, um, cool. Like, that's, and, and not that we have to all have the same taste, but, you know, there's several times that I'll be like, oh, that's interesting, IGN gave it that. You'll be like, oh, they gave it an 8 out of 10, I wonder why. And you read the article, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you know what, I, I'm with you on those couple points, but I think you're a little, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm like, I think they're being a little harsh, but for the most part, like, very rarely do I, do I disagree with them. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, like, make your own opinion, formulate it, um, you know what I mean? Like, it's the best thing I can tell you, you know? Um, yeah. I don't and really- and I'm, I'm, even, I'm even okay if you want to use Rotten Tomatoes a bit, but I just don't like the people who, like, abide by it like it's the Bible. It's like, <laughs> just because of Rotten Tomatoes movie... Rotten Tomatoes says a movie isn't good doesn't mean that it's not good, right. basically. Well, so. like, you know, um, I'm going to use Bullet Train as an example. So that movie came out last year. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I was like, that movie looks cool. I don't really yeah. know what it's about, but that looks cool. It looks like it's a lot of fun, right? And I was talking to someone at a party a couple weeks later, and I'm like, you know what movie I really want to see is Bullet Train. And, he's, and the response I got was, of course you do. And I'm like... <laughs> what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know. It just looks kind of dumb. I'm like, how, why? It looks fantastic. It looks like it's a really fun, like roller coaster, like popcorn movie. It looks like I don't have to like, I can just go in, enjoy myself. And here's the thing. It's one of the coolest movies I saw last year. It was literally one of the most fun movies I saw last year. I don't even know what the Rotten Tomatoes scores looked like. I don't even know what the IGN review was. I went in the movie, had a blast. Later, I ran into that individual who said that, and his response was, yeah, that movie was actually pretty cool. And I'm like, <laughs> like I don't understand sometimes when people talk <laughs> about movies and like, yeah, you know, I can't stand like, you know, you'll be like, oh, this actor's in the movie. Oh, I am so done with them. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Just go and enjoy the movie for what it is, man. You know. <laughs> I think that's okay in certain cases, but no, I, I definitely am on the same page with you there. And uh, I don't know. I always view these things about like if we were talking about music, for example, it's like sometimes you're in the mood to uh, listen to Bach or Beethoven or something. And sometimes you're in the mood to listen to 
black eyed peas, you know, like sometimes you're in the mood to listen to a masterpiece and sometimes you just want to listen to some dumb, fun music to get the party started. And a lot of the people, a lot of the times the people who like the art form the most enjoy both. So I really like yeah. that, uh, that way to look at it. Sure. All right. One last news story and then we can move on to the list. Um, you saw Ant-Man 3, right? Multi, oh no. Um... Quantumania? Yeah, yeah. All right. And in the movie, there's a scene where Paul Rudd is at the bookstore reading his autobiography, um, <laughs> Look Out for the Little Guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you know where I'm going with this? Maybe. <laughs> All right. You're laughing, and I'm like... I'm laughing about the part of the movie, but... <laughs> okay. I was like, are you laughing at me? Like, I thought you were laughing because I knew I was going with this. Anyway, Scott Lang's autobiography, Look Out for the Little Guy, that appeared in the film can be read in the real world starting September 5th. <laughs> so the time of this podcast, you can go out and buy Quant, uh, Scott Lang's autobiography, Look Out for the Little Guy. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. When you said it can be read in the real world, I was worried this was just going to be a digital release. I was like, no, please tell me you can buy a hard copy, because that I, is... I am pretty sure you can buy a hard copy of this book, and I... Yes. Um, and I got really excited about that because one is a Marvel collector. That's yes. like a that's technically a prop from the movie, if you think of yes. it. Um, let's see here. No, you, you gotta have that on the shelf, you know. You have your like you have your infinity gauntlet replica yep, on the you shelf. Buy, you gotta you have that on, book right next to it, you know. You can buy it on <laughs> you can get it on hardcover and you can have it tomorrow, September eighth, if I hit buy now on Amazon. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> That's that's great, and that's also gonna be like a subtle, uh, nerdy decoration, you know. Like, not everybody who goes into your house is gonna notice that, but that's a really cool. Uh, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I kind of want it now, just to have it on the shelf. All right, I gotta debate if I actually buy this book or not. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was you know final final uh, story of the night. So, um, yeah, you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right, it is list time, so let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. This was your list, so why don't you explain what we're doing, and uh, we can talk about how easy or hard it was to put together. <laughs> 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 i hope it wasn't too hard um no actually, we're talking i i had some like there was a couple like when i was doing my google searching just to make sure i wasn't missing anything like for example i'm just gonna throw this out here 30 rock was on the list and i was like that's not i see why you're saying that but it's not but go ahead yeah i don't think that counts <laughs> but uh yeah tonight we're talking about our top five favorite sketch comedy shows so I mean, there's the big ones. You have your Saturday Night Lives. You have your Mad TVs. You've got some really big tentpole uh, sketch comedy shows that we can talk about. But what's interesting is there's a lot of obscure ones. You can get into everybody knows Monty Python, but there's a lot of obscure like British sketch comedy shows that are out there. Uh, if you go into Comedy Central original series, there is tons. You have like Chappelle's show. You have the Nick Swardson show. You have the one they did with Dimitri Martin. Like there's a ton of just like single comic based 
sketch comedy shows that we can talk about. I fully expect we're going to match a lot on this list. But what I think the beauty of this list is, is, Drew, if you and I both say Saturday Night Live is one of our favorites, we're both going to have different uh, sketches that we love. We might have different cast members, different eras of the show. It's a very nuanced discussion, even though a lot of the same shows are going to come up in the conversation. So I thought this one would be, this would be a fun list. I just think we're going to match a lot. So. Gotcha. All right. Well, I have two honorable mentions. I don't know about you. Yeah, I do as well. So. Okay, great. Um, Oh, I got to go first, don't I? So the first one, I don't have to talk too much about it. Um, It's because I only saw a handful of episodes here or there. They did a couple cool sketches. I actually have a couple sketches um, that are like saved on like discs because they appeared on like as like bonus features for DVDs and stuff like that. Um, But it's a British uh, sketch comedy show called Absolutely Fabulous or Abfab, as it was known on Comedy (laughs) Central. Um, And the reason I say that is the reason I like what caught my attention about the show is they had a really funny Star Wars sketch that I caught once. It was like based around like episode one and stuff. And I was like, that was hilarious. And it made me watch a handful of other episodes. But I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was really funny. Um, But uh, and then the one of the actresses, uh, like the main actress, because of Absolutely Fabulous's fame at the time, she appeared on Friends. She was the uh, mother of Emily uh, when Ross married Emily, the British girl. So, yeah. That's great. I vaguely remember the show. Uh, I remember you liking this one a lot, Drew, but uh, I didn't know why. I didn't know there was a (laughs) Star Wars sketch, but I just knew you liked this show. And uh, from what I have seen, I remember it being funny. I just don't remember enough about it, you know. It was also like um, uh, right in the middle of uh, it was also like right in the middle of like shows in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, go ahead, man. What's your first honorable mention? So my first one, I have to mention, uh, I went with mad TV, mad TV. If you were around in the mid to late nineties, everybody watched this show and they watched this show a ton. And, uh, if you go into the two thousands, the show ended up being on syndication on, I think it was like Fox would play a lot of mad TV episodes back in the day, but I've watched so much of this show, and uh, if you compare Mad TV to, like, Saturday Night Live or even other um, sketch comedy shows, I never thought it was the greatest, but it's also, like, I've watched this show probably, like, maybe more than most of the other shows on my list just because it was on TV so much that it just had to make my list. And there were some really... uh, there were some really funny moments. I think my favorite uh, sketch might be the uh, can I have your number sketch, if anybody knows that one about the uh, the guy who's kind of following a girl around the uh, or actually I think he's going to different seats in a movie theater and he's pestering like a lot of different women for their numbers. And uh, that one always played out really funny. But when you go into Mad TV, there's also a lot of just really uh, good comics that uh kind of found their start on that show as well. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew, but yeah. Um, I did not watch a lot of Mad TV. Um, Mad TV came out at a weird time where I didn't have, it's that pocket in your life where you just don't have time for television, where you're in college or dealing with work or like a mix of both. And you're just like, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. Um, It also was a sketch comedy show where I was like, 
I didn't find it nearly as funny as I wanted yeah. it to be. Um, because I also read Mad Magazine back in the day. Like, I was a Mad yeah. Magazine subscriber. So there were things that I was like, eh, okay, I see what you're doing, but not really. Like, there was, it was like, <laughs> it didn't live up to the expectations of what I think I wanted it to be. But then I also didn't have a lot of time for it, so I just didn't watch it. So I don't have a lot to say about it for those reasons. I would wholeheartedly agree with everything you said there. But the reason why I love Mad TV is, you're right, like, I feel like, as a whole, it was not it's not as funny as it should be. Like, it's not as funny as, like, Saturday Night Live or, like I said, a lot of other uh, sketch comedy shows. But Mad TV is the show where you might, you could watch three episodes in a row and think every sketch wasn't that good. But the one sketch that was funny, like, you could watch it for three hours and you'll see one sketch that's actually funny. But the one that is funny is, like, the funniest thing you've ever seen, if that makes sense. So it's, like, it's a very, like, it's not, it's almost always not funny, but the one time it is, it's so funny, you're just rolling on the floor laughing. So that's, it's a weird dichotomy with that show, that's all I'm saying. Sure, sure. All right, so my next honorable mention is, um, this one is only a uh, honorable mention because I didn't know if it actually counted because it, it is sketch comedy, but in the realm of what, when we were talking last week, I'm like, I don't know if this counts, but it counts. And that's yeah. robot chicken. Okay. Um, because it is sketch comedy, but because of how it's portrayed, what it actually is, I was like, well, it's, it is, but it's not like, I don't know if that's what Peter was talking about, but robot <laughs> chicken is fantastic. Um, yeah. Everything about it is funny. I don't there's very rarely a sketch that I don't laugh out loud at. They have some of the best Star Wars ones. They have some of the best theme ones. They have some of the best pop culture ones. And it's all done stop motion with toys and stuff. But Robot Chicken is it's it's quality quick. And it's when I say quick, we're talking like there's sketches that are 30 seconds, some sketches that are shorter. Um, and they just jam things into like an episode, which is only like 15 minutes long. And then the amount of, the amount of content in the 15 minutes is amazing to me, but absolutely. I think robot chicken totally counts for this list, but I see why it's like, you know, this is a stop motion animated show. Um, when you talk about sketch comedy, you're usually thinking of live action. Um, in the case of SNL, like that was shot live, but you're usually thinking of that sort of like live action, um, sometimes like improv troupe esque sort of comedy and Robot Chicken is animated, and it's it's a much different beast, but it totally counts. It's a comedy show. It's filled with sketches. Uh, Robot Chicken's amazing, so I'm glad you brought this up. Um, do you have any favorite um, sketches from Robot, Robot Chicken or anything like that? Well, all the Star Wars ones, for obvious yep. reasons. Um, yeah. There's the, the nerdy kid that talks he, he he does he's not talking with a lisp it's because of his braces that are making him talk the way he talks almost every single one with him are hilarious um i like the bits um i do like the one there was one they had where it was all the it was like the real world but it was all the dimension movie monsters like freddy and jason and michael myers and stuff all living in the same house um i loved it <laughs> <That's> great <laughs> i loved that bit um yeah, there's so many, um, but no, like the Star Wars ones definitely take the cake on that one. Uh, just because oh, yeah. Of, just because of what they did with those. Yeah. And I, lo I love how they released all the Star Wars one as like a special like DVD that that was just really cool. But uh, 
there's one sketch that um that I always think of and I don't it's it's a really dumb sketch but it's uh in Robot Chicken they have this one of them is like it's like the movie Tap Gun but the it it was like kind of like Tap Gun meets Cars so like okay. the main instead of like Maverick like you have like a car going through Tap Gun and then oh. there's the uh, the volleyball scene and in the background of uh, the volleyball scene in, in actual Top Gun is that song that's like playing with the boys, but mm-hmm. the, this version was playing with a car. <laughs> so it's like literally the same song, but they say playing with a car. And I think it's because that song's in there. It always gets stuck in the, in my head. Anytime I hear playing with the boys, I always think of the playing with the car song. But uh, other than that, I agree with you. The, the Star Wars robot chicken uh, sketches are top notch. My absolute favorite one is uh, the one with a, uh, Panda Boba and uh, Dr. Evazan and the whole like idea that Panda Boba was just trying to be like, you know, a nice guy and like, hey, I like your haircut. And then, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Evazan just, I don't like you. He doesn't like you either. And then Panda Boba gets his arm cut off and, you know, innocently, like he just gets screwed over in the situation. I love that sketch so much. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, every yeah, all the Star Wars ones are great. Like when Vader has to call uh, Palpatine or the Emperor and tell him that they blew up the Death Star, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> I forgot like, about that one. That's what's great. a what's an aluminum Falcon? Like, what are you talking about? They blew up the Death Star. Like, how'd they blow it up? Like, you know, like wait, you've been flying around for two weeks trying to get a signal. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. Um, all right, man. What's your next honorable mention? So my next one uh, is pretty obscure. Um, I remember when when I was in college, there was a couple different uh, British sketch comedy shows that were floating around that just everybody who was in college with me at the time was watching. Um, A really big one was uh, The Mighty Boosh. Um, So if you know, uh, this is kind of a side note because I didn't go with The Mighty Boosh. But if you know, like Old Greg, like the I'm Old Greg sketches and stuff, those are from The Mighty Boosh. But the one that I went with is another uh, sketch comedy show from Britain around the same time called uh, Man Stroke Woman. Um, have you ever seen this, Drew? No. I promise it's not a porn. I know, I know no. the name sounds very sus. But this was basically just a random British sketch comedy show. And uh, it had a bunch of random actors, but the main one that everybody would know is uh, Nick Frost. And you would know him from... Oh. You know, Shaun of the Dead and the Cornetto trilogy and all that. But it was basically a lot of just really short, clever sketches. But this show is, like, consistently funny. And uh, I watched a handful of episodes. And there's a couple sketches that always stick out in my mind that I just think are so hilarious. Uh, The one that I really love is uh, there's this one sketch where it has Nick Frost walking through a park with his wife or his girlfriend and uh, an attractive girl walks by and then like the uh, the show kind of does a freeze frame and Nick Frost like acts out what's going through his head and he starts like describing all the vulgar gratuitous things that he wants to do to the attractive girl that just walked by and stuff (laughs) and then and then you know the 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 sketch stops freeze framing and his wife's like oh what are you thinking about and he's like oh nothing and they just keep walking by (laughs) and it's so stupid but it's also like so true and funny and uh there's another one that's really funny about um i don't know i mean i don't know how crass you want to get with this 
episode, but I think it's pretty funny. There's like a, uh, a man and a woman who are about to be intimate. And uh, the man is like coming up with like a million excuses to not wear protection in the moment. <laughs> Right. It keeps adding up worse and worse to the point of where, like, the man saying, like, the universe is going to implode if he has to do it and stuff. And I don't know. It's it's a really good show. Um, if it's you got to have a pretty goofy sense of humor, but it's a really hilarious one that delivers as far as uh, the laughs goes. Sure. So sure. and I unfortunately I don't. So if I have a chance to look it up, I will. Um, all right. Moving on to our actual picks of the night. Okay, Peter. Actual picks tonight. Um, yep. If you if you heard a weird pause there, I had to step away from the microphone for a brief minute, so I'm gonna do a tweak, quick tweak. You won't even know. No big deal. Um, so first, actual picks tonight. So in the realm of sketch comedy, we may have matched on this one, um, but I went with Key and Peel. Um, no, we we didn't. But I really, picked. okay. okay. Um, Key and Peele, uh, when I first saw it advertised, I really didn't know what to think of it or whatever. And then someone showed me a sketch and I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. And I started watching. Now, I didn't watch the show religiously. I didn't watch it like, oh, I have to catch the episodes. But I caught a lot of things here and there. And I caught a lot of sketches as they've been separated and like put out and stuff like that. But one of the things I love about what uh, Key and Michael Key and Michael Key and then uh, Evan um, <laughs> Jordan Peele. Morgan Peel. I literally almost said Evan Peel, which is a Star Wars character. Uh, <laughs> Morgan Peel. Uh, jo- the- jo- Jordan Peel. Jordan sorry. Peele. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What is it? Um, yeah. You have when Morgan they- Elizabeth on your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, so when they put that show together, not only were they, they were tackling, it's a little more modern than a lot of uh, sketch comedy shows are in the sense that they tackle some really heavy issues and poke yeah. fun at some really cool things. And, like, some of it's lighthearted, some of it can be dark, but even when they poke in on the dark side of things, it's hilarious what they do. Um, my absolute favorite sketch from this show is the substitute teacher um, that can't pronounce anyone's name correctly. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but for some I reason... I think I've seen that one. one for one hand, I've... Um, the. This is my favorite sketch, but it for some reason has been popping up on like my Instagram feed a lot and it never, ever gets old. And it's uh, Keegan-Michael Key is the um, he's the substitute teacher and he's doing roll call and he's like, all right, is there a Jaqualin here? Jaqualin? Anyone? Jaqualin? And nobody's like talking. And the girl goes, do you mean Jacqueline? And he's like, no, it says Jaqualin right here. And she's like, well, my name's Jacqueline. And he's like, that's, and he's like, kind of starts making fun of her about her name. And he's like, all right, moving on. He's like, A.A. Ron, A.A. Ron, is there an A.A. Ron here? <laughs> like every name. And he's getting so angry. And he's like, all right, the next person is just some stupid ass shit. <laughs> um, it's literally my favorite sketch of the whole, probably of the entire series. But yeah, Key and Peele is fantastic. Um, but it launched uh, Jordan Peele's career. And that we get all the fun movies that he's making now. So, um, yeah. And then uh, Keegan-Michael Key is in all kinds of stuff. Like he's in Parks and Rec. And like he just he pops up in these random places. And I'm like, yes. I always get excited when I see him on screen because he always just every time he's on screen, he like it's like he chews the scenery. He always does something cool. Like, yeah. So the one I always forget about is he played uh, Toad in uh, the Mario Brothers movie. 
Yeah, and, he did. Uh, and it, I always forget about it. But then every once in a while, like, you'll watch the movie and you'll hear one line and you're like, wait, I know that voice. And then like, oh, yeah, it's Keegan-Michael Key. But um, no, this is a good pick. I actually, when it comes to this show, they did a lot of, um, I don't know if they were opening monologues in the sort of Saturday Night Live sense, but they did a lot of just like stand-up comedy sort of monologues like the two of them in front of the uh audience for the show and some of those are my favorite parts like i remember they did this one where it was basically them both acting out a scenario of when it's like super late on the weekend and you hear like two drunk white guys out in the street who are trying to get into to a fight with each other <laughs> and they both like act out the fight and it's pretty funny because they never actually fight each other it's just like kind of this like series of threatening each other and at certain points they're both like grabbing onto uh each other's shirts and shifting back and forth but they never actually fight and then if i remember correctly it ended with one of those like drunken like slobbery like they're both hugging each other and you know i love you man <laughs> sort of things but uh that one was pretty great so yeah um all right man what's your next what's your first actual pick my first one I can keep pretty short. I actually went with a robot chicken. So and oh, nice. pretty much everything I wanted to say about it, I already said. But uh, it's a weird, obscure cho- or not obscure, but it's a out of the box choice. But I think it definitely counts. So I think because it's not live action that made me. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So my next one, I think it's funny that you brought up Dimitri Martin, but I went with important things with Dimitri Martin. Nice. Um, yeah. I so. All right. Dimitri Martin, as a comic, I saw some of his stand-ups. He is, his line delivery, the way he thinks through the jokes, is like, there's something special about it. And it's so hilarious. I do not want to even attempt a joke of his on the air right now, because I will butcher it, because I will not deliver it properly. There was something special about the way he told jokes. Um, And then he had this, you know, important things with Dimitri Martin, it was a sketch show, but it all kind of each sketch focused around like so each show was like a specific topic for the night. And then each yeah. sketch like built off that. Um, but the way like the arts, his art style, because sometimes it was like sometimes it was like animation to it. And sometimes it was like sometimes there was an animation, but it might have been like a weird sign or something like that. Um, but it was kind of a dry humor. But, man, when you really thought about what he was doing, it is some of the funniest stuff what he would poke at and the way he would do it. It was just it was great. So I really like that. I love that show. It's fantastic. Um, I never got a chance to see the whole show. But while we were talking, I was Googling some of this. I was like, oh, I can't watch it right now because I'm not streaming anywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> This would be a fun one to rewatch because when this show first came out, I watched a ton of it. I just can't like it's weird. I can't remember a lot of the specific moments from it. And I think that's why it didn't make my final list, but I think it's definitely a good show. And I think Dimitri Mark Martin as a comic is kind of like, he's like a genius level of like a one liner comic. Um, I remember he was on an old episode of uh, the Nerdist podcast. And uh, I think it was Chris Hardwick said that one liner comics are the mathematicians of uh, comedians. And I feel like that is really true, you know, when you think of the like one plus one equals two and you think of, you know, Stephen Wright, like you say one, two, three punchline and it's like just a one sentence thing. But it's like the funniest thing you've ever heard. And Dimitri Martin 
is totally a mathematician with how he presents his comedy, but he even takes it a step further where he has that like whiteboard level of he brings in drawings. Um, sometimes his jokes are actually equations and stuff. So he's he's just pretty great. So uh, yeah, good call with this one. Yeah. All right. Um, what is your actual next one? <laughs> so speaking of uh, out of the box, off the wall picks, I went with a show called Kablam. Uh, Drew, do you know what this is? I remember it, but okay. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, if Robot Chicken counts, this one counts, but it's it's very um, it's very out there. Like you could make an argument that this doesn't count, but this was a show on Nickelodeon. Um, I think it was in the late '90s, and it was basically an animated sketch comedy show similar to robot chicken but they had a lot of uh repeated sketches so they would have certain mini stories and sketches with certain characters and there was like a couple different ones that were mainstays that they would do every week um but then they would also have like a random cartoon in there as well and uh what what differed from robot chicken with this show is every sketch had a different animation style. So you had uh, probably my favorite one was this uh, stop mo motion um, animated uh, sketch called Action League Now, which was like a stupid uh, superhero parody thing where you had a bunch of stop motion action figures um, acting out like these dumb superhero scenarios and it had a lot of potty humor but it was all also hilarious. And I kind of feel like in a weird way, Action League Now was like a little bit of a precursor to uh, Robot Chicken in that way. But there was also like Life with Loopy, which was, if I remember correctly, that was like more of a uh, classic like claymation style thing. And then you had the hosts who I actually looked it up before the show, but the hosts were two kids named Henry and June who were animated in a much more like almost like a Cartoon Network cartoon cartoon like original series style where oh. they had like the thick outline like just traditional cartoon sort of thing but was what was cool about they were the hosts so they would introduce every sketch but their animation and the way that it was presented like the framing and stuff actually looked like a comic book like if you watch the intro to the oh. series it looked like you were opening a comic book and these were just a bunch of stories in the comic. So I feel like when you look into the multimedia sense of it, when you look into the animation sense of it, there's a lot of really cool things that were going on. But I actually think the show is a pretty solid pick if you were kind of in that like junior high age in the late 90s. Like I thought this was a really cool show. But for me, it's really Action League now was the best part. You had like uh, you had the characters like the Flesh, Stinky Diver, Thunder Girl, Meltman, like, you know, Meltman has the power to melt, you know, uh, this show is hilarious. I think it was like Action League now is so good that that's kind of why this seals the deal as uh, one of my final picks, just because that singular sketch that was repeated so much was just that top notch. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds cool, but I, yeah, I did not have any clue what this was as you were talking. I'm like, but as you started talking about it too, I was like, I don't know if I remember what I'm thinking. I'm yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, this is where our age difference comes in. So what's that? 
I said, good call on the deep cut, though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, this is where the, our age difference comes in, too, because uh, I was the right age for this one, and I'm sure you were like, <laughs> I don't even know if you would have watched this or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so my next one is, uh, this is a show, I want to liken it to, like, a Mad TV. Um, it was one that hit in the 90s. It was our first... I think it's our everyone's first real like whatever the average public, <laughs> average moviegoers, the average viewer. I think their first iteration of Jim Carrey was Ace Ventura, but for yeah. me, but for me, my first introduction to Jim Carrey was on a show called In Living Color, um, which was essentially a it was a sketch show with all black actors except for Jim Carrey. He was like the one white guy on the show. And um, like we all know, Jim Carrey's comedy it can be, you know, it can be crash and raunchy and stuff. But his uh, his ability to do the funny voices and the weird faces and all that stuff uh, really lended it to it. Um, and then the thing that really like landed him as a. Uh, uh, the, the, the one who the, the role on the show or the character he created on the show that really like cemented him in that pop culture fandom that brought him the other roles was a character called Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah. And um, he just, <laughs> man, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, first off, I loved the show, but it was always like you would watch every week just for Fire Marshal Bill and hope that they did that. <laughs> like, hope they would do a Fire Marshal Bill sketch. It was fantastic. <laughs> but it was always like this guy who was like, everything would go wrong. Like, he's the fire marshal. He's the fireman there to do the inspection or whatever. But every single thing would go wrong constantly. Um, and sometimes he would be in a hospital, sometimes he would be in a grocery store or whatever. And like, he was like the worst, but it was so funny. And you just laugh your butt off at it. Um, I don't, I don't have any good way of like explaining fire marshal bill other than saying, go YouTube fire marshal bill and watch <laughs> some of these clips because they're hilarious. I do concern that as I say that some of them might be um, like, I feel like you can't like half of the jokes on that show probably aren't even PC anymore and people are going to get offended, but it's got to be out there somewhere for people to watch. <laughs> I, I think Fire Marshal Bill. Um, yeah, I feel like there might be some of it that's like that, like makes fun of like burn victims and stuff that definitely wouldn't be considered uh tasteful and stuff by today's standards. But it's also you can't do justice to that character because this is. Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, his delivery, you can't do justice to because it's not just line delivery. It's not just the writing of the jokes. It's Jim Carrey's presence and the way he can transform his face and uh, his behavior to become this completely different character. And it's just so hilarious when you watch it. But again, it's just it's the performance. You can't do justice for it. So it is like go YouTube it. But in Living Color is classic. Um, I mean, you have uh, Jim Carrey. I feel like, did David Alan Greer get his start on that show as well? I don't know if he got his start on that show, but I do remember him on the show. Yeah, uh, and then there was, there was also Alan a few Greer, of the Waynes brothers. What's that? David Alan Greer actually voiced a character on the NPR radio adaptations of Star Wars, the originals. 
Um, oh, cool. So he was already like in the works. Like I remember, I remember listening to the NPR radio adaptations of Star Wars back in the day, which are phenomenal, by the way. But I remember them like listing up the cast at the end, like in David Allen Greer. I'm like, wait, what? And then I remember listening back to it. I'm like, holy cow. You know, you can totally hear the voice. So he he's one of those great comedic actors who I think kind of uh, is a little bit off the beaten path now. Like, I feel like he should be a more of a household name than he is at this point. It's kind of, uh, kind of weird, but yeah, there's a couple of the Wayans brothers were on in living color too. And then the other one that everybody likes to point back to is, uh, Jennifer Lopez got her start as one of the dancers on that show, which is pretty interesting too. But, uh, yeah, yeah, just great, great call. We didn't match for this one, but it's really just because I haven't watched it enough, but, uh, every time I have watched it, I thought it was hilarious. So, yeah. All right. Um, what's your next one? Yeah. So my next one, um, I kind of I don't think this is much of a controversial pick, but it could be depending on who you are. But I went with the Muppet Show. Uh, did we match for this uh, one at all? No, we did not. Oh, wow. I totally expected us to match this for this yeah, one. But, you know, and I see how the Muppet Show can be considered a sketch comedy show. But where I didn't account for the Muppet Show is that. The Muppet Show is kind of like 30 Rock, where they're putting on a sketch comedy show. Ooh, okay. You know what I mean? And that's where, like, I didn't... That's where I, That's why I didn't. I am not arguing at all with your pick, because it's a phenomenal pick, and I love The Muppet Show. But The Muppet Show was... It's about the, the Muppets doing The Muppet Show. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't watched... Like, I've seen a handful of 30 Rock episodes, but I feel like the Muppet Show does bring the actual sketches to the forefront, probably more than 30 Rock does. So I think that's why it counts. But you're right. There is a meta aspect to it where there is like this whole backstage subplot going on for every show. And I, I never really thought about it like that. But once the actual sketches start, they're totally first and foremost and the focus is on the sketch itself so it's kind of like uh i think it counts but it does have it's a sketch show with a weird meta framing to it that i never i never really thought of it that way but uh the muppet show i picked this one because i love this show and it's a show that i grew up with and it's a show that when i was a kid i think it was nickelodeon had this would play this show but it would only play it at like 1 p.m. or something like that on weekdays. So this was the show that I watched when I was sick. (laughs) When I was sick and I would stay home from school, Uh, I would watch The Muppet Show. And that was like the only chance I would have to watch it back in the day. But I loved it. But I love how The Muppet Show is like, there's so many bits of pop culture that I was exposed to in The Muppet Show, whether it be like certain hosts that would come on, like you'd have like John Cleese would come on or like uh, George Burns. And like as a kid, I have no idea who George Burns is, but I watched The Muppet Show and then I I learn about that corner of pop culture from watching this. Um, and then, of course, my favorite episode ever was when they had uh, Mark Hamill was the host because they had so many. First of all, it's you're watching Luke Skywalker, but they had so many Star Wars tie ins. And uh, of course, they have like the the pigs in space uh, repeated sketch that would be on there. But once you get 
Mark Hamill involved with the pigs in space, like space sci-fi parody. It just makes it that much cooler. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know. The Muppet Show, because I grew up with it in that way, it's always going to have a spot near and dear in my heart. But uh, I don't know. Do you have any any final thoughts on this one at all, Drew? Well, what or? I was going to say was that you should take a look at... Um, take a look Mayhem at, or whatever? Well, well yeah well yeah oh my god watch watch mayhem for sure on disney plus fantastic yeah if you want to watch them up at show the whole thing is on disney plus as well but nice. one thing that's really difficult to find a copy of but it is on youtube and bizarrely it's on youtube with the original commercials because it aired on television so their youtube cut has the original commercials so that's worth checking out for fun but uh look up the muppets 30th anniversary special and the reason I say that is because they shot, they did like a banquet. You know how, you know, the old school ways where people would have like the banquet where everyone would be sitting at the head table and you'd have some, you'd have a speaker come up and talk and be like, you know, we want to talk about the monsters in the show, blah, blah, blah. They had some really great sketches, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So clips like you see that on television back in the day. That doesn't really happen anymore. But that's, you know, those kind of banquet type things. So they did a banquet like that. And it was a recap of 30 years of the Muppets history some of the absolute best sketches ever that they did are in there. Um, and I, and seriously, just YouTube it. It's absolutely hysterical. If you like the Muppets, you will die laughing. If you've when never did this come out, um, it came out sometime in the eighties. Um, because I was pro I was yeah. like, I was like seven or eight when I watched this thing originally. I, I know feel like I've seen it. You probably have because we had it on recorded VHS. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I like yeah. recorded it off TV and I remember watching it a lot. Um, but I went looking for it to try and find like a hard copy of it because another one that I really liked is the Muppets family Christmas. And that one, um, like the Christmas special they did that one, you can actually get on DVD, which I found, but, nice. um, and it's missing a scene by the way, just whoever put that together, like cut a scene out. And I have a feeling it's for a PC reason. I don't like that, but whatever. Um, but, <laughs> if you Google or if you look up on YouTube, the Muppet 30th anniversary special, it's there uh, in its entirety. And it's just great. So, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen that because I remember thinking it was so cool to see some of the old black and white Muppet show clips. And uh, especially seeing like when you see like an early version of like Kermit the Frog or like early versions of uh, certain Muppets when they have a completely different puppet they used and maybe like you know the fa the shape of their face was a little different or there's like subtle differences it's like really cool to see that sort of stuff and look back at the yeah. history of it but yeah nice yeah all right man what's your um oh it goes back to me doesn't it yeah um all right so my second to last one is a show called mr show you ever you know what i'm talking about um I've never well, watched so, it. I've heard I hear great things. I've never watched this one. <laughs> you hear great things. <laughs> Mr. Show is a um it was a sketch comedy show on HBO, which means they had no rules uh because they were allowed to do rated R content and nobody had a problem with it. Um here's your here's your hosts, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Those are your two lead actors, those are your writers, your creators, your stars of the show, and they did sketch comedy. And 
it was some of the darkest, raunchiest, funniest stuff. There's no way that show exists now. There's no way you could pull it off now <laughs> because everyone is just way too. Everyone's got too many trigger warnings and needs their safe spaces. Um, this is literally. Um, it was one of the funniest shows. It's one of the shows that turned me on to David Cross as a comedian, and I actually got into his stand-up because of this. Um, they did a really funny bit uh, when they were promoting the show for um, uh, back when uh, – what was the um, the comedy special? It was um, – why am I drawing a blank on it? Um, comic Relief. Um, oh, okay. Comic Relief. They had David Cross and Bob Odenkirk come out and do like a promotion for the show. Like, and the stars of Mr. and Mr. Show come on out and whatever. And David Cross is out there and he's like, all right, so we're going to do a magic trick. And he's, and Bob Odenkirk goes, what do you mean? And he's like, all right, we're going to do a magic trick. You go backstage. I'm going to talk to the audience and we're going to call you back. <laughs> so Bob Odenkirk goes backstage and David Cross continues, like, you can plug your ears. Don't, we don't want to be able to, you to hear us. So he turns to the audience. He goes, we're going to pick, we're going to pick a code word. And we're going to do a little improvisational sketch comedy where he's got to guess the code word. And <laughs> so they decided that Apple, the word Apple, was going to be the code word. And he goes, OK, Bob, you can come back out, but you got to come back out naked. You can't wear your clothes. You got to come back out naked. It's part of the bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Bob Odenkirk comes out and he's like holding, like trying to cover himself up with his hands Jeez. completely naked. And David Cross is like they're doing this like improvisational bit to try and guess the code word. And he said Apple. And David Cross goes, no, that's not it. And he's like, what? He's like, the audience, they're telling me, they're telling me I said it. They're all agreeing that I got it. He's like, no, you didn't get it. And he eventually got him to scream at him and call him a worthless piece of shit. <laughs> and David Cross goes, yes, that's what we were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was like, there was just some really funny bits. But when you looked at the sketch show, some of the stuff they were doing, man, it was brilliant what they were trying to show. And it was, it was that. It was like, let's say, let's do South Park as a sketch comedy show and not have any rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. So, Mr. Show, if you want to watch it in its entirety, it's on Max. Nice. So, check it out if you're looking for something to, like, add in. But do not watch it with kids around. <laughs> they, had a, <laughs> they had a bit where a kid... It was real. It was a really funny sketch. It was a sad sketch because they were they were going for that. Remember when metal music was uh, being blamed for people committing suicide? <laughs> okay. So there was a bit where David Cross is in bed. He attempted suicide, so he's in the hospital, and he and they pull the covers away, and he's got like a pipe cleaner body because he got melted. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say that, like, they had it rigged to wires, so, like, clearly he's under the sheets, like, as a real person, like, moving this, like, puppet body around. <laughs> nice. And they're like, what happened? He's like, well, I tried suicide after I listened to my friend, my favorite band's new album, Try Suicide. <laughs> and, like, it was it was hilarious. Like, they were just, what they were trying to do with it was so funny. They were just poking at pop culture and what was going on in the real world and stuff in such a unique way. So, yes. Anyway. Awesome. All right, so what do you got, man? What's your second to last one? Yeah, so um, I feel like we're going off on tangents, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what I was hoping for with this list, but it's hard for me to know because there's the the one I want to save for last, but I think I'm going to save the other one for last. So for my second to last pick, I'm going to go with the whitest kids you know, which. I don't know if you've watched this much, Drew, but this is a show that uh, it came out 
when I was in college and uh, between classes and stuff, I had nothing better to do but watch The Whitest Kids You Know, which was, I believe it was airing on Comedy Central. But this was a sketch comedy show put together by, uh, it was like four main guys. Um, most notably was uh, Trevor Moore, who uh, he actually tragically passed away. Um, I think it was last year um, he got in a bad accident, but definitely rest in peace because I thought he was hilarious and he was maybe my favorite guy on the show. But it was basically just like these four guys putting on sketches. And uh, I love this show because I feel like they didn't really care about the rules. Like they didn't like I felt like so many of the sketches felt um, very. I'm not sure the right word for it. Like they weren't structured necessarily how you would expect most sketches to be. And they would do things, whether it was the crassness of it or just how stupid the idea, they didn't care because they were just going for making things as humorous as possible. Uh, one, Some of my favorite sketches, the one that always stands out is there's this really hilarious sketch about Abraham Lincoln it's it's kind of like a retelling of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, where basically is he's in the theater and he will not shut up. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln's in the balcony just being an asshole and yelling through the play and stuff. And everybody's getting really annoyed with him. And then John Wilkes Booth chooses to assassinate him, not for any political reason, but just because he thought Abraham Lincoln was so annoying <laughs> and he just couldn't take it. Uh, they have another uh, another sketch that always sticks out to me is uh, there's two guys who just meet each other up in the park and they're having like this sort of like you know, just run-of-the-mill, small-talk sort of conversation. And at some point, one of the guys goes, oh, what's that you're carrying in your hand? And the guy pulls, holds up, like, a gallon. It's like a milk gallon jug filled with some mysterious liquid. And he's like, oh, this is just a gallon of PCP. And then they just keep going on <laughs> about the conversation. But it's so, it was so – that one was one of the shorter sketches. But it was so random and just stupid, absurd stuff like that. Um, another one sometimes, that I really – Sometimes stupid and absurd is what you need it to be. And that's yeah. the thing. It's okay. And that's the thing I think – and I didn't expect for us to have some of this conversation, but it's okay to laugh at stuff and it's okay to find things funny yeah. and not be offended by things all the time. Like that, that sketch you just mentioned would probably piss off a lot of people right now for some reason. <laughs> and at the same time, they're just poking at the absurdity of it because sometimes it doesn't always have to make sense. Anyway. Yeah, Go no, I, and I, I think that's what Whitest Kids You Know really encapsulated, that sort of absurdist humor. Uh, another sketch, which is another really stupid one, and I don't know why this one sticks with me, but there's this sketch where it's one of the guys walking. <laughs> this is going to get a little crass, but I can't help it. But the, one of this guy or one of the guys on the uh, show walks into like the living room and he's dressed like a teenager or whatever. And he's got this giant thing like coming out of his forehead and uh, his mom's like, oh, Danny or whatever. What is that? What is that <laughs> extending from your head? And the guy's like, mom, it's just a whale penis. I got a whale penis <laughs> transplanted onto my head. And then the mom's getting mad at him. And he's like, mom, you don't know anything about looking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this thing where it's like instead of getting like piercings or tattoos, like they're getting like animal animal genitalia transplanted onto their body. And then the guy has like one or two other friends who comes up, who comes in with like other animal genitalia transplanted onto them. But it's just that absurd, like stupidness 
that I loved about this show. And I think that's like, this one holds a special place in my heart as well, because I think the reason why I love this show the most is because it feels like the kind of jokes that me and my friends make when we're just hanging out. And we're not caring about story structure. We're not caring about comedy theory. We're just saying stupid crap that's going to make each other laugh. And that's what I love about this show is it just feels like hanging out with your friends saying stupid crap that makes you want to laugh. So uh, that's why I picked this one. Dang, stupid crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, man. I guess it's the last one. We haven't talked about it, so I'm assuming we matched on this one. And that's the mother of all sketch comedy shows, <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yep. I'm like, there's no way because we haven't talked about it yet. There's no way we didn't match on this. Um, so since, yeah, since this was your list and I know we're matching, why don't you just start and I'll just jump in. So, oh man. Okay. So Saturday Night Live, where do you begin? This is a, this is a show that started in the seventies and I feel like the beauty of the show is no matter what age you are, you love Saturday Night Live, but you might love a different era of Saturday Night Live. You might connect with different sketches. And there's just so much content there. Like, this is a show where I can talk to my father about Saturday Night Live because he loves Saturday Night Live. But he, like, truly connected with the uh, 70s era of the show. Like, you're talking Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, like, all those classic actors. And the thing about the classic era of Saturday Night Live is what they were doing, they were doing some really like push the envelope sort of stuff. They were really pushing the limits of what you could do on TV, what you could say. And a lot of the um, jarringness of what they were doing at the time really pushed the humor. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I'm obviously a lot younger. So for me, I really connected with the uh, 90s cast of Saturday Night Live. Like, I think some of the 70s stuff is like just really funny. And uh, but a lot of it, I don't think I connect with the same way that I connect with the 90s cast. You know, when you have like David Spade, Chris Farley, uh, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, um, you know, like a lot of those that like 90s um, or heck, I mentioned Wayne's World earlier. You know, you have uh, Michael Myers, Dana Carvey, like a lot of that is those 90s uh, cast from the show were just amazing comedians uh they just put on some of the funniest sketches um i was thinking back on the show some of my favorite sketches and i think it might be because they have movies connected to them but a lot of the ones that had movies connected to them stick with me a lot more and i think it's just because of re-watching those movies but you know the wayne's world sketches i always loved the uh night at the roxbury sketches were amazing i remember the episode where uh Jim Carrey hosted. I don't know if it was his first time hosting, but the the Night at the Roxbury sketch with Jim Carrey is probably like the best iteration that's actually, of that specific that's sketch. That's actually the very first Night at the Roxbury. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't even realize that, but that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it makes you wish that Jim Carrey would have been in that movie. <laughs> it, it, at least as a cameo, you know what I mean? But that's all right. Um yeah, no, and I like that you talked about the cast because that's the thing is, like, people, when they start watching the show, it's all predicated on the cast. You fall in love with a specific cast. You fall in love with certain aspects of it. And that's one of the things there where you have the, um, you have that ideal um, 
like the David Spade years or the Jim Belushi years or the, you know, uh, the Bill Murray years, the yeah. you know, current generation. Um, it seems like it goes through these fluctuations of stuff. You have those uh, featuring players become the feature, the, the regular cast members at the time. Um, you have your Tim Meadow years. You have your uh, Jason Sudeikis and Will Ferrell years. Um, my all time favorite sketch is Celebrity I'm- Jeopardy. Oh, so good. Every every single one of those is phenomenal. Will Ferrell playing Alex Trebek, and then they have the celebrities doing, like, being the contestants, and they're all, like... And so you'll always have the host will play one celebrity, but then you'll have everybody else, so it's like someone's playing Mini Driver, or someone's playing Keanu Reeves, or someone's playing whatever. Everything they do, it's so funny. And you always have Sean Connery as the reigning champion, and, you know, when they, like, what do you wager? And it's always some, like, inappropriate comment, or, like... They have the the because they're celebrities, everything was dumbed down. So he's like, all right, colors that the category is colors that end in purple. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like um, he'd have like the the question would be it's the letter. It's the number that becomes between three and five. Just write down the number that become that comes between the numbers three and five. <laughs> like the answer yeah. is right there. You just have to write that down. And everyone would screw it up some way. It was my absolute favorite sketch. And then when they did the big um, uh, reunion special or the big anniversary special, I was like, I of all of it, I was like, I just hope they do Celebrity Jeopardy. And they did. And it was amazing. So anyway. I, uh, Celebrity with Jeopardy was so good when it comes to you have these celebrity impressions that are like they range from being like amazing to like that celebrity doesn't really look or sound like that but it's still funny (laughs) so i don't care like it's the rule of funny as opposed to the rule of cool with celebrity jeopardy right but you also have to look into like you were talking about you have the categories you have the answers people give you have the uh final jeopardy round with what do people write down what are the wagers there's like hundreds of uh one-liners that are thrown like when you look at that sketch and how many times it was repeated there's like hundreds of one-liners that they put into those sketches and so many of them are just so funny but celebrity jeopardy is probably it's one of the most quotable saturday night live sketches and i think i think you're right like that one is one of the best. I'm actually glad that you brought up like a favorite sketch of all time because I was I was going to mention uh, my favorite one as well. And my one was actually since you mentioned Will Ferrell, mine one was is one that's on the best of Will Ferrell DVD. And I remember watching uh, with one of my friends just watching this DVD over and over, just cracking up at all the Will Ferrell sketches that they chose. But my favorite one of all is uh there's this one episode where i don't know if he was the host or if he was the musical guest but garth brooks was on the episode and it's a sketch that's starring garth brooks but he's not playing garth brooks he's just playing a guy who's like sitting in his house trying to write a song so he's just messing around with his guitar and he's trying to make up a song and he's having really bad luck at what he's trying to do and he just says man i'd sell my soul for a hit song and after he says that Will Ferrell shows up as the devil <laughs> and Will Ferrell shows up as the devil trying that's, to, you know, that's interesting that it was Will Ferrell and not Jason Sudeikis who played the devil on weekend update. Right. Right. <laughs> well, 
Well, anyway. I think it's because of Will Ferrell's performance in the sketch because it's so funny because it's Will Ferrell as the devil trying to give Garth Brooks' character a song to use as a hit song. But what's funny is every single song that Will Ferrell comes up with is like the worst thing you ever hear. <laughs> and it's all just like these really cheesy, ridiculous rock songs. And I can't do justice to it at all, but you just have to watch it. But it's one of those things that like me and my friend watched this DVD so much. There was, a, there was one point in time where we could just like quote the whole sketch back and forth to each other and we just thought that all the little song bits from this sketch were so so funny so uh that's definitely one to go uh look up but uh yeah just good stuff all around um are you kind of on the same page as me drew or is it like the 90s cast was your favorite or do you I like don't... like the more of one the current casts or any of anything like that i really don't know because there's these moments where like the 90s cast might be my favorite, but there's these moments where you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then you start watching it and then like it gets so at those points where it gets like super solid for a really long time. And then it yeah. trails off and it's not as good. And then it gets super solid for a while and it trails off and then it's super solid. Fortunately, we haven't had any center live in a while. So when they finally get to go back in front of the cameras, really kind of curious to see what they turn out, uh, because that could just be like. An, an overload of comedy gold because they're like pent up. We got to get the jokes out, you know? Yeah. Um, I do. I do remember. Um, I want to say it was like mid to late 2010s. There was a really good run where like the cast was really good. It was kind of like when um, like Kristen Wiig was on there and I can't remember who else, but there was like a really solid cast that was just knocking it out of the park for a while there. Um, I haven't watched it. Unfortunately, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live for a couple of years at this point. But uh, and I feel like I haven't watched it in a while either. But we have a weird strike going on. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's talk about. Oh, and we can't go anywhere without mentioning the cowbell sketch. So let's be real. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, we all need more cowbell in our life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube, SNL, cowbell sketch, and you get to watch um, Blue Oyster Cult record a song with uh, Christopher Walken and Will Ferrell with the cowbell is the reason you watch that bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> at any rate, um, let's talk about next week. Um, I'm going to give you a hard one. And I thought about this. I'm like, this is a really cool one, but this is going to be a hard one. So think deep on this one. Um, there was a point in our lives where we actually had to go to theaters and wait in line, whether you were waiting in line for buying tickets or you were waiting in line to get good seats. And if you didn't see the movie on opening weekend, man, you didn't have anything to talk about. So I want to talk about, and this is going to be tough because you and I go see a lot of movies, right? Yes. I want to talk about the five movies you wish you saw opening night. Oh, wow. I know it's going to be hard <laughs> because there's so many movies I went and saw opening night. Or special screenings or something like that. But movies you wish you could have seen on opening night. So, and, I, and I have no problem with you pulling from the past. Like, I wasn't alive for it, but I wish I could have been there. You know? That's, that was my question. Okay, that answers it. <laughs> I, have, I have no problem with that being um, part of the equation. But I just think it would be really cool to discuss that. Because you, we've gone to theaters on opening nights for stuff. We've paid for advance tickets. We've sat in lines for three hours waiting for a movie to start. Um you know, I've we've all been there. So that's why I was, you know, that's why I'm saying, you know, oh, but before, 
Before we do this list, I actually had one other question. Uh, how many Police Academy movies were there? <laughs> Six, I think. <laughs> okay. Why? So it's just narrowing. The, so I've got my top five, one honorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, there's my top five. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So that's what I thought would be kind of fun for next week. Um, yeah, that's all nice. I got for you. Um, that's an interesting list, but that's cool. Right. Um, it is. We are going longer than I expected, so I'm going to throw this one in the can if that's all right with you. Um, so everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook. I mean X instead of Twitter, so X and Facebook. And I haven't put it up there yet, but I will, the uh, Instagram link. Uh, but we are on Instagram now, so check it out. I'm trying to drop show stuff and... Um, Try and be a little more active over there. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, um, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry, X and Instagram. <laughs> Drew, three nine two seven. I gotta fix that. I've been for five years. I've been saying Twitter, and now I gotta change it. Anyway, uh, you can follow me at those places at Drew three nine two seven. Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, just as a side note, I feel like we almost should just keep saying Twitter. Like the X thing is annoying. I just say it every week to be obnoxious, but <laughs> I also am enjoying listening to you correct yourself each time. Sure, <laughs> but. But no, you, you can follow me on X where I will be letting you know if or sorry, I don't I, I keep for it's the X thing is trips me up. You can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre, where I will be letting you know if you're going to spew spew into this. <laughs> Wayne's World plug it is if you don't know what he's talking about. Anyway, um, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.